Geopolitics and Empire is joined by author, blogger, and journalist Ian Davis of iandavis.com. He also contributes to UK Column and Geopolitics and Empire. Now, welcome back, Ian. Uh, thanks very much, Havoy. It's very nice to be here. And yeah, it's great to be writing for uh, Geopolitics and Empire. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I, I love your work. Um, you, you do great analysis. And so I look forward to more pieces from you for Geopolitics and uh Empire, and maybe just to start off on a light note, I saw you tweet. I think Kit Knightley's piece from from off a Guardian about the Trump circus. Um, I'm just not interested uh, in, in, in anything Biden or Trump yeah. anymore. I I just I feel like it's all um, a distraction from what is really important that we should be focusing on. With what's your take with the whole Trump arrest stuff? Yeah, I mean it's just pretty kind of crazy stuff really i mean I, I don't i agree with you i mean i don't really think it's that, that i don't find it particularly interesting i find it entertaining more than anything i mean it's 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 good for that from an entertainment perspective um but other than that i mean it, you know i mean i'm firmly of the view that that the you know the the policy is set the policy agendas are set above kind of even president's heads and uh you know what what we get is uh is a translation of those policy agendas, which are set at the global governance level, in my view. I, I think it's actually meant to be entertainment, like reality uh, yeah. TV TV for us. So uh, getting then on to the more serious stuff, I was listening uh, to your interview with my TNT radio colleague, uh, Jesse Zerwell. Uh, you were on his show mm -hmm. talking about the article you wrote, the banking collapse. And it, everything just seems to be playing out like all of us have been talking about the last couple of years, where um, you know, my running theory is Peter Thiel, you know, pulled the money. He 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 mm -hmm. he, he he he's the guy who, you know, implanted the nanothermite in World Trade Center 7, so to speak, symbolically. <laughs> like he he pulls SVB. Um, there was even talk about Elon Musk buying SVB, SVB you know, their pals and to use that to to further the, the Twitter X app WeChat thing. And so there's something going on here and it just seems like they want to doing the same thing over and over you know what they did during the pandemic wipe out the middle class lock down the small businesses shore up the monopolies like amazon costco walmart now they're doing the same thing with the banks wipe out the local small banks shore up the big banks bring in the cbdc's what's your take with what's going on here yeah it's quite right it's the same model repeated again isn't it i mean and the interesting thing about Thiel as well is that he's um I mean, I wrote another piece a while ago for UK Column about his involvement with something called the Dark Enlightenment, which is, you know, he's an he's an accelerationist. So this is taking sort of Schumpeter's creative destruction to the max, you know, that believing that believing that, you know, everything needs to be torn apart in order for it to be rebuilt in some sort of, you know, kind of utopian uh, well, in, in the Dark Enlightenment, uh, the, which it was inspired by something that an article that Thiel wrote that I, I can't remember. That I think I cited it in the actual article itself. Um, but you know, the idea is that you that you deliberately destroy what's currently exists in order to rebuild the new Nirvana. Uh, which would be in Theo's case would be totally un unrestricted. He he calls it free market, but I mean I you know I mean it's if you look more into what he's actually talking about, it sounds more like a sort of the monopoly of mega corporations. So I mean the opposite of a free market really. So um, but anyway, I mean yeah, I mean I think his involvement is noticeable. 
obviously if you pull 42 billion dollars out of a bank as a, a smaller bank as that was in one day which is what the founders fund basically organized by you know like getting together with their investors which include you know people like vanguard and blackrock and all those kind of people as well their interests are represented within that fund too you know they they um pull it all out in one day it's bound to cause a a problem but i think the really the, the really interesting thing about the whole narrative that surrounds the svb collapse and you know the other bank the other banks as well and then the wider contagion moving over to credit swiss and, and other places as well and now obviously now we're talking about you know deutsche banks looking a bit dodgy and you know the whole thing is likely to likely to sort of rumble on is that that it exposed at the heart of the us banking system a much much bigger problem which you know it comes to light when you start looking at the you know the total composite balance sheet of the of the entire system the losses that are on you know the the, the losses that that seem to be apparent we're talking something closer to 2 trillion rather than the 625 billion which is the only figure that they'll admit to in in terms of unrealized losses um you know but you can apply that same that same kind of haircut to to the um you, you know to to the the loans and leases that they've got which they're calling assets which would have been made at the lower interest rate well now interest rates have gone up you can you can apply the same kind of losses to those and that's 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 a 12.2 trillion dollar asset claimed asset so i mean if you take the similar kind of 10 percent, 11 percent kind of cut from that and add that that's another 1.3 trillion dollars in assets to the 6.25 6.5 you know 650 billion then you come in something closer to 2 trillion and then there are other losses on that portfolio there are other losses on that balance sheet as well that you would you know need to look at more but safe to say it's 2 trillion so you're talking about something that is unrecoverable really in terms in terms of you know to to in the, in the long term that can't that can't continue you've got a you know massive debt to gdp ratio in the us and across the whole kind of western economy really um and you know as as mark carney said a few years ago the center cannot hold so you know and, and we're seeing that writ large with that with that svb collapse so what they're doing at the moment is sort of continuing the kind of life support sort of getting it to tick over for a bit to what ends we might wonder i mean surely sooner rather than later it is going to go completely pop at which point you know there needs to be some sort of rescue package and if we look at what the 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 you know the fed have done subsequently and noticeably, you know, what Jerome Powell was talking about to the to the select committee on the 9th of, I think it was the 9th of March, which was the same day that SVB went down. Well, that was the same day that Thiel and his mates were pulling everything out of SVB. Well, on the same day, Jerome Powell was speaking to a US, uh, I think it was a Senate select committee or Senate hearing on finance, uh, you know, talking about the fact that the Fed could launch a wholesale CBDC without congressional approval. So we could do that. You know, I mean, theoretically, we could do that, which means that we've thought about it and we are going to do that if and when we're ready. So, you know, 
I think I think that's what we're looking at. I think they're keeping it on life support. They're admitting to some losses, but not all the losses, and they're just trying to keep a little bit of faith in the market until they can until they can finally pull the plug and bring in CBDC. A quick shout out to our sponsors, which you can locate via the sponsor page on geopoliticsandempire.com or whose links are included in every podcast description. I've tried privacy phones in the past, such as Silent Circle's Black Phone, which turned out to be a dud. The best and really only option so far is de-googling your phone. Now, you can do it yourself, but I've never had the time to figure that out and simply got an above phone. They sell de-googled phones that come with a suite of software. They also provide support and a monthly above privacy suite with many features such as a unique phone number, encryption, email, VPN, and so forth. If you're looking for a private phone, check out above phone. Make sure to click on the above phone link on geopoliticsandempire.com or via the podcast description so that we can enjoy a commission. Also, check out the Nomos Time Bank at nomos.net, which you can download in Spanish or English to your Apple or Google or de-Googled phone. Nomos allows people in your community to exchange services using time as a currency rather than fiat money. This will be one great way to survive in the coming algorithm ghetto. If you need health insurance, you can talk to my friend James Guzman of the Borderless Blog Podcast and Health Insurance. He offers free consultations. Simply schedule a time with him over at borderlesshealthinsurance.com. Finally, you can donate directly to Geopolitics and Empire, consult with me, the host, or become a member to join private monthly member Zoom calls where we shoot the breeze discussing world events. And we can talk about all of this other stuff, I mean, surrounding the banking collapse and you know all these other banks but i think that's all background noise for me the main point is what you just mentioned you know what's the next step where are we going it's the cbdc's they've wanted to take us there they're taking us there these banks are uh collapsing it's interesting i had a you were mentioning in your uh interviews previously the fed now that's coming uh, online in the summer interestingly i had my, my one of my recent guests emmanuel daniel who's a fintech global thought leader. I saw him tweet that he, he said FedNow has nothing to do with CBDCs. I mean, I, I respect all my guests and, and their opinions. Um, I'm kind of not buying it. Uh, and it just seems like the big, the most important thing now is we're going in, they're, they're bringing us into the CBDCs and all countries. So it's not just US, but uh, everyone everywhere, you know, Lagarde uh, at the EU, uh, just talking about it. She even mentioned that it's a control uh, mechanism. So your further thoughts on how we're going to get to these CBDCs is going to be just like a slow patchwork forward or, or you know, your further thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing, the key thing to CBDC is interoperability. This is what the Bank for International Settlements have been mainly focused on. So I think CBDC in, is an inevitability. I mean, if you look at the uh, Atlantic Council CBDC tracker, we've got 140 nation, 114 nations around the world last time I looked, representing something like 95% of global GDP, are, uh, are fully on surging ahead with CBDC. Um, and the, But it, the fact is that, that 
if you can conquer the interoperability problem, which is what the Bank for International Settlements, as I said, have been working on, then each individual nation state can have its own version of CBDC. And it might be a slightly different model. I mean, a lot of people are, are assuming it will be based on some sort of blockchain, but it doesn't have to be. You know, obviously, there are different forms of distributed ledger technology. It could be a, a different type of distributed ledger technology. It could be a different a different coding. You know, it doesn't even have to be on DLT based. It could be, you know, there are lots of different models and options that, that a CBDC could could operate upon or be issued through. But the point is, it's about that about being able to settle them instantly this is the point it's about being able to settle them internationally nearly instantaneously for all cross-border transactions if that happens which you know the swift system recently you know announced its 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 test of interoperability which it had, it had, it had sandboxed i think it was about four or five different currently functioning cbdc's and tested them for interoperability, and yet, yet they, they, they've got this system that they can present. There's similar system that the BRICS have put forward. I can't remember that. Is it that their LFT LFT system that the BRICS have announced? And I think with the with the Fed now thing, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. It's not it's not um, directly linked to central bank digital currency, and it's not the only kind of sort of settlement system that or digital settlement system that countries are operating around the world. ECB operates one, you know, lot, lots of different, you know, central banks are operating similar systems. And, the, and to that extent, the Fed's, you know, Fed now system is similar. But what it is, is a interoperable settlement system. And that's that's the key. That's laying the foundation for. For the seat, that's, you know, that's the basis for a global CBDC network. So. You know, in 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 of itself, it's not you know it's not CBDC related, but it's 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 the it's the preparation of the groundwork to enable a, a kind of a globally interoperable system of central bank digital currency. You know, and it, it, and now more recently, we've seen you know the digital pound has been launched, and that's got a, a what they call in their platform model. And the platform model is you're going to have an API because one of the one of the problems with central bank digital currencies and one of the things that I think has been the central banks have been obsessing about is how, you know, central bank issued central bank currency issued as a liability directly of the central bank cuts out the money creation scam that the commercial banks have been riding along on for the last, you know, 50 odd years or so. So what's in it for them? You know, the, the commercial banks might be looking at and have looked at CBDC and thought, well, hang on a minute. I mean, that's going to that's going to undermine our business model. So what what the Bank of England have done and, and it's in the, 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 the platform model that they put forward is almost exactly the same as the platform model that's been put forward in Russia. Is that you would have the central bank would have this API layer which commercial banks would then act as the payment gateways, the nodes, if you like, if it was on a, a DLT type thing, it would be the nodes that are then used as the payment gateways to access the, the, the API layer that would be managed centrally by the central bank. But this is the key. What they've said is that the, the programmable aspect of it, as in, you know, these these smart contracts that enable CBDC to be programmable, 
table where you can put in your end of it you know everyone can put in their slice if they can program the smart contracts themselves they're giving that power to the commercial banks so the commercial banks will have the power to write the smart contracts so you know if you you can imagine a scenario where for example you know blackrock is heavily invested in energy companies around the world so energy providers could have a smart contract with blackrock where every time you pay automatically pay with your cbdc your your energy bill blackrock get their slice the energy providers get their slice it's all very carefully managed everyone's happy and they all go home you know this is this is so I, I think it's clear, and, and, the, and as I say, and a similar thing has, has happened. The, the Russian platform is very similar. Chinese one slightly different, but but the whole but the whole point is that you know they need to in some way less so in China, but they need to in some way to get the commercial banks on board because the commercial banks and the and the commercial payment systems like Mastercard and Visa and all those sort of people and PayPal and all that sort of lot they they have got the the infrastructure already in place and they can control the payment system now if if the central banks try to stamp their cbdc model on them there's nothing to stop a lot of those commercial you know multinational corporations offering an alternative as as one of the things that we've already seen in russia is spurbank the, the sort of semi-state uh bank in uh, commercial bank in russia offering a gold-backed tokenized stable coin now russia have preempted that the russian government have preempted that and they're working together i mean it's not like it's a, it's not like they're working against each other but they've they preempted that with a with a uh, a legal framework that they set up i think quite a while ago 2019 i think they, they set up this law on digital assets so they're already prepared and i think the the duma as well more recently has been kind of like looking more closely at regulating crypto incorporating it into digital assets maybe using it as in this within this tokenized digital asset environment so so they're bringing all the partners together they're bringing everyone together so that they're all on board with cbdc so when it does get time to formally roll it out i think it'll be drip drip it'll probably start with a you know there'll be a financial collapse and they'll say oh well we need some sort of wholesale cbdc for financial stability so that that'll be the way it will start and then it'll but the but the model that has been presented in to, for the digital pound is a retail cbdc which means one that's offered to the public as well it, it's a bit confused because retail cbdc can also incorporate elements of a wholesale c uh, retail cbdc could be both but as long as it's all interoperable, as long as it all works together, then you're going to get this centralized, centrally controlled, automated, probably AI controlled. Well, and depend, then it depends who's programming the AI, doesn't it? But but uh, AI AI controlled global international monetary and financial system, a new one, and that's what the, I think. That's what this everything that we're seeing happening around the world at the moment is all leading up to this transition you know you can look at the war in ukraine you could look at the sustainable development you could look at all all of that the 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 pseudo pandemic everything if it, it's all leading up to this transition to a new international monetary and financial system and i think it's quite obvious that that's going to be based on 
CBDC. I, I think this is one of the best uh, explanations I've heard so far. And uh, you make a great point where they don't want to leave any alternatives. So it's like this you know, web network where they're, you know, some of us maybe have this more binary simplistic idea that it's going to be central banks come in and roll out the CBDCs. And no, as you, as you laid it out, they're going to hook like an octopus, hook in all everything else, PayPal, uh, retail banks, put it all together uh, globally. And that's it. No uh, al- alternatives. And also, as you said, I think even uh, the the retail banks, you know, maybe they'll be tasked with or, or they'll be linked to the directives of the central bank. And, you know, my next question is, once this is in place, what life will be like for dissidents? You know, uh, Jeremy McKenzie uh, in, in Canada had his Scotia Bank just shut his account. In Australia, Maria Zaric, uh, the podcaster, had her BMO bank shut her account. So, um, you know, that, that retail bank just basically says you, you're a, a political risk for us. You're a risk for us. Then w- where's that coming from? Is it it's the bank or it's the bank, you know, with its uh, agreements that it has with the central bank where they just classify, as you said, they're able to monitor, uh, you know, the, the banks that we all do business with, uh, they can see our purchases that we're making, what we're doing. And they, they've got like, uh, you know, political, they're tracking our political, religious views. Uh, you know, I used to have an account with, gold money and twice in a year they froze my account for months on end and i remember the owner of gold money saying tweeting publicly that they're being forced by this system you know kyc rules and stuff and that they're being forced to monitor their clients like social media and you know political religious views all this stuff and so your further thoughts once this all comes to be what is life going to be like uh i guess uh if if you make a wrong move or wrong thought, they'll they'll clamp down on you. No, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's that's you know, I mean, it's the now infamous clip, isn't it, of uh, Augustan casting? You know, we can't control a thousand dollar bill, but we can control this, and we have the technology to enforce it. You know, I mean, that that's it's almost a sort of comic kind of looking at it now. It seems like an almost comic kind of James Bond type villain kind of thing to say. But the point is, no, nah, unfortunately, that is that is pretty accurate. That is that is the extent of control that they will have with central bank digital currency. Because if you think at the moment, I mean, there are already laws in place. You know, there are plenty of laws in place already to stop us, you know, to stop money laundering and to stop, you know, you, you, you know, I, I, it's difficult for me, for example, to take out any kind of sizable amount of cash from a bank account. Just, just doing that, just going into my bank account and not asking for a, a load, but you know, anything more than a few grand, and they 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 want to know the ins and outs of your you know your whole life story, which is all done for what? It's all done for our protection, right? So this is always the same, and and there is some truth in that. I mean, you know, fortunately, a bank intervened in my mum being ripped off for about fifteen grand. So 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 you know, it's not like this is all bad. And there is some truth to, you know, we do need to be wary. There are some scans out there that we can't even possibly start to imagine, you know. But that being said, what what it means is that that can be programmed into smart contracts at the at the platform layer. So so there'll be certain flags and certain triggers that will be that will be programmed into AI capability that will do all this kind of like management of those kind of safety rules 
automatically and a lot of and that again that will be sold to the public as a great convenience a great advantage you know you don't have this this problem of getting your money out because it'll all automatically work out whether the transaction is safe or not you know so people think that's great and they'll think oh that's better than the current situation but the problem is as you rightly pointed out it that that programmable programmability and that smart contract capability can be used for any other reason so if, for example, at the moment, I mean, one of the one of the things that I, I think about is you think about lockdown restrictions at the moment, a lockdown restriction requires legislation of some sort or at least some sort of enforceable regulation. There needs to be a, 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 an, um, a way that you can that, that you can say, well, no, you can't leave this area. The 15 minute city thing, you know, you can't leave more than 15 minutes from your center of your city or whatever. Well, in a CBDC world, if, for example, you know, your bank fully, is fully on board with sustainable development goals and believes that, you know, that you shouldn't be able to leave a 15 minute air, a 15 minute radius of your home, then you won't need legislation because you'll simply disable your money's function outside of that radius. So they won't they won't require legislation. Legislation will be less meaningful as will democracy. Democracy will be less meaningful for that, or rep representative democracy, let's call it. But that will have less meaning because there'll be less need for legislation. Control will be exercised through the function of your money. If there's something that they, I mean, at the moment, if they want to censor somebody or stop somebody, as they did in Canada, when they wanted to stop people supporting the truckers' protest. So they, how did they do that? They had to work with the banks to disable payment systems. To, so they worked with online payment systems as well to stop people being able to subscribe to, to support the their chosen chosen cause that they wish to support. Well, with CBDC, they won't need to do that. With CDD, CBDC, that will be centrally controlled. So they'll just disable that transaction. So you, you, you will try to, say, support go to pay your money into a support fund for the truckers protests or whatever you want to whatever cause you want to support or the world wildlife fund or whatever it is that you do want to support and if they if that if that transaction is not approved then that will be automatically disabled at the point of transaction so this will all happen in real time it's it's it will all happen in the in the you know the milliseconds of a of a, an ai system so that level of control and manipulation over society I, I don't think i don't think we've ever faced anything as all pervasive and totalitarian in its scope as i mean traditionally how do totalitarianism works it works through violence fundamentally it's a it's oppression through violence it's physical restrictions it's you know maybe economic restrictions as well but it's it that at some level it boils down to some level of force in terms of physical force. Now, with CBDC, that won't be required any longer. Governments and international corporations won't need physical force. They'll just disable your ability to use your money in in whatever conditions they wish to set, and that. It is a is a paradigm shift for the whole planet and if and if we end up all of us using digital central bank digital currency and this is the problem if uptake reaches a certain level 
then we are in deep, deep trouble because money functions for us because we can use it in the wider economy, right? So, I mean, if I, if I want to go and buy some food, I want to be able to go and use my money to purchase that food from a local store. Now, I might violently disagree or, or strongly disagree with the, the, the basis of fiat currency, but nonetheless, I still have to use it if I want to go and buy a tin of baked beans. Now, if CBDC reaches a certain level of uptake, then whether we want to use it or not, if we want to go and buy a tin of beans, chances are we're still going to have to, have to use it. So everyone will be subject to it. So we need to develop alternative systems and we need to sort I think the most important thing is that we that we start thinking about and pushing out those alternative payment systems amongst ourselves and more importantly, get more people to realize the need for this. And and I mean everything you say is spot on. And I I do think that what you just described, this this new system historically. It is also a form of violence. It's a violence if you're um, denying a person or citizen the ability to buy food or anything. You're it's basically another way of throwing them into the gulag and starving them uh, to death. Or you know, whether it's the you know the other version of the uh, Holodomor in, in Ukraine, where you just take away all the food and leave the peasants to starve. It's basically uh, a, a modern version of that same thing. So in a way, it is violence, and you know going forward i don't have so many answers you know people look to me for answers i'm just we're trying to figure out <laughs> what's going on and you know one of my sponsors nomos time bank they've got this app where um you you get other people to use it in your community uh, you can use it anywhere in the world and it, they use time as a currency so if you if you look for a service you know the barber cuts your hair for 30 minutes he gets 30 minutes of time and then he can use that you know that's one option it's of course that's not a you know total solution but what do you see as some i mean it looks very bleak sorry to say because if they've got control of everything what can we do i mean barter uh do you have any thoughts as to what what alternatives we might have in this system yeah i mean despite the you know as you just said despite the terribly bleak picture <laughs> that i've just described um you know, uh, I think there is, we've got every reason to be hopeful because if you think about, you know, the, the whole purpose of pretty much everything that we see on the mainstream media is to control our thoughts and opinions. Now, the reason that they're so focused on that is that it matters to them what we think and what we do, and more importantly, what we do really matters to them. So we really, it's just a matter of realisation, really. We just need to realise that the things that we do every day matter. Now, we've just seen the, the the you know, quite amazing protests that are going on in France and the amazing protests that have been going on in Israel. Now, I am all for protest. I think protest is very, very important because it expresses to the political class that we're not happy. Right. And things have got to change. And that pressure in it in and of itself, especially if it's on the scale of those protests and clearly in Israel and in France, you know, you're seeing the political class kind of back back off a little bit and and rethink their tack. But it isn't, in my view, ultimately isn't going to change anything. The trajectory is set. So the trajectory 
you're on, the policy trajectory that we are all on is set. So it's just a matter of how they can get us there. They're just shifting us there by increments. They're just getting us there however they can. Now, we can't change that their minds, right? They're, they've already decided that this is what's going to happen. And they might use a system of, you know, and we've recently seen the World Economic Forum talk about polycrisis, where everything comes together and we're all just overwhelmed at the same time. Whatever. They're going to use whatever mechanisms they can to move us towards to push us down this policy trajectory path. But if we realise that, hang on a minute, we don't have to follow that. You know, the things that I do every day, if I make a conscious decision, I'm not going to use my card. I'm only going to pay for things in cash. I'm not going to buy certain products because I'm not sure about, you know, where they've come from. I am not going to, uh, you know, just go into a supermarket and buy all the cheap stuff. I am, I am willing to pay a little bit more to support local producers. If we, if we, if we just take those steps, if we actively take those steps, if all those millions, probably almost certainly millions of people that are protesting in France, if if on a similar scale we did made little decisions every day to change our our behavior ourselves because they're trying to change our behavior but we can change our behavior so if we change our behavior and move incrementally away from their from their policy trajectory we will change everything and there's nothing they can do about it but we we just have to realize that and that's you know that's that's the we have to realize our own agency and we have to take control of it yeah that's great advice and that's that's what i try to do uh as well i just i always i've I've always in my life used cash as a teenager just for me it's more convenient cash uh, i've talked to people oh it's so convenient the contact no cash is convenient i know how much i have and i don't understand people who just don't walk they don't have cash like i've always got a bundle of cash with me if i get mugged whatever you know it's not the end of the world uh but <laughs> You know, yeah, it, it happens. But I always find I always have a pile of cash when I'm walking around because you you never know what's going to happen. You might get stuck somewhere. You need cash for a taxi or or a hotel or spending the night somewhere. <laughs> you might get yeah. rendition <laughs> to another state or something. No, I don't know. But I'm being I'm being silly. But I I, I did want to switch then gears to multipolarity. And I think <laughs> I, I think you and I are on the same page. And I'm a big fan of Michael O'Fallon who has this sovereign nations podcast and, and conferences. And I was catching up to, he's, he's a Christian as well. He's, he comes from that worldview. And I was listening to his speech last night from the conference in December. And he says, uh, what did he say? He said that, uh, the multipolar world is the unipolar world. You know, multipolarity is unipolarity. And I, I agree with him because, because the, the push to have a true world federation, or global governance or global government, you have to have multipolarity. So in a way, it's like multipolarity will lead us to this unipolar global governance uh, system. That's sort of my view. And I, I think you recently tweeted, I think it was you, you said, no, who said, I think a multipolar world uh, order could potentially reduce international conflict, but I see no evidence of its potential to serve better humanity those leading it are also leading on cbdc digital idea biometric surveillance state and so on uh, end quote yeah you recently tweeted that and yeah. i i would add to that as well in my interaction with multiple multipolaristas who otherwise are great i chat with them all the time on tnt radio i'm one of many names but i've noticed that they conveniently 
either avoid the topic of the algorithm ghetto altogether, or they say it's a good thing. And it's I, I kind of take it as sort of a cognitive dissonance. Um, they're viewing the whole multipolar scheme as uh, a, a lesser evil. So, you know, I'll talk to these people who are pro-China, and they'll either just ignore the whole social credit, you know, uh, algorithm ghetto, or they'll say, oh, it's it's not so bad. It's it's good. And so, you know, your further thoughts on, on multipolarity. And I, I think it has to do, you know, Anthony Sutton and many others have talked about mm-hmm. conver- convergence. And I think the key is mm-hmm. convergence between East uh, and West. So your, your further thoughts here. Yeah, no, I, I sort of largely agree with that. I mean, I, th- I think um, potentially, I mean, I, I think the problem that we get into when we talk about m- the multipolar world or order as such i mean the thing that i point to about that it's the world order aspect of it that's the the bit that we need to be worried about whether it's called multipolar or unipolar doesn't really matter it's the world order bit which is which is global governance and that's the that's the part that we need to because that that means the centralized governance of the planet you know i mean obviously it's in the name but i mean but but uh, that's not a good thing that that in itself is not a good thing we you know we're moving further and further away from any kind of pretensive i mean i would argue that there's not really any kind of democratic oversight now but i mean you know we're almost if, if you like officially moving further away with it from any kind of idea of a global world you know global governance world order i mean that's just you know that's no it's no use to man nor beast really but i mean but but the the point is that the multipolar is being offered as an alternative to the unipolar. And I would agree very much with the previous comment that it's not. It's not an alternative. It's a different model of the same thing. And the same thing is, I mean, the aspects of the current offer of an of a global order that is on the table the worst aspects of that to my mind are all those things we've just listed in particular central bank digital currency but there's there's the you know there's the jabs and there's the there's the digital id and there's the biometric surveillance and there's all that's the bit that i'm particularly opposed to i mean i'm opposed to all of it on principle but i mean if we get down to the specifics those are the things that really concern me now a lot of people say well yeah it won't it doesn't you know if you live in syria or you live in ukraine these things aren't high on your priority list and i'm sure that is absolutely true and i totally understand that but i don't most of us don't most of us live in other places and for those of us that are living in other places we really need to be concerned about this stuff because it is you know what is the point of having all the advantages that we've supposedly got in life I we are fortunate enough not to be living in a war zone. We're not, you know, most of us are fortunate enough not to be starving. Most of us are fortunate enough not to be suffering from rampant disease and water degradation, well, and all that kind of stuff. You know, we have advantages that we have enjoyed for many, many years in the developed world, whether that's east or west, you know, it doesn't matter whether that's east or west. But what are the point of having those advantages? If we are now willing to simply give away all those advantages because we believe in some concept, some abstract concept of the multipolar world order, which is going to save us from the thing that the the the, the version of global governance that we don't like to be simply replaced by another version of the same thing. So that's that's, you know, 
to my mind, to my mind, that's that's a pointless exercise. And I think I think it is being offered to us precisely because many people in the West, and rightly so, have become utterly disillusioned with the with the way that, you know, for example, the United States, the the, the UK government, the the European Union, with the way it conducts itself around the world, the way that it can, you know, conducts its affairs with through economic financial and often physical military warfare i mean that's the way it's been conducting itself this idea that we've lived in a peaceful world since the second world war is nonsense we haven't at all and you know they quite rightly we point to these people and say we don't want this we want you to stop bombing other countries we want you to stop all this unfortunately the hope is that a multipolar world order might might reduce international conflict, which it, it may well do. It might reduce international conflict, but there's a lot of reasons to be worried that it won't. I mean, I mean, you know, let's be honest. Russia, for for good or ill, Russia is in its sixth war since Vladimir Putin was president. I mean, that's a lot of wars to get involved with. Now we can argue, we can argue about all the reasons why, but nonetheless, that's six conflicts. You know. China's conduct in places like, you know, Yemen leave a lot to be desired. So, so we can't just assume that a multipolar world order will deliver some kind of more peaceful and stable, fine, uh, you know, global kind of geopolitical sort of basis. We don't. We can't. It would be nice to hope that that could be the case, but there's really not a lot of reason to think that it would be. You know, I mean. If if we have all this this world of poles, how are they going to manage internal conflict? You know, are they are they all going to be you know at peace with each other? Is the is the pan Americana bloc going to be totally at peace with itself, or is is the you know is the pan Eurasian bloc going to be you know everyone's going to be happy with themselves? I mean, we don't know that. It's a, it's a massive leap of faith to take to just assume that that's going to produce a safer and, you know, hopefully uh, a world with less conflict. I, I doubt that. But the point is the transition to it sure as hell isn't going to be peaceful. The transition to it is certainly not going to be peaceful. And I think we've got every reason to be very worried about developments that are going on currently, you know, where, where Ukraine is the fulcrum of those developments, because it's quite obvious to my mind that, that both sides are not really that i mean i'm despite what china and russia have said about the fact that they're you know that, that they would welcome peace negotiations the war is ongoing the conflict is ongoing both sides are still you know there's not been any kind of sign of any kind of like retraction and the the nato for its part clearly wants the war to continue for as long as po as possible so there's no will there at the moment that I can see to to bring it to a conclusion. Yeah, and you know Nikola Mikovic, Serbian analyst who writes for me, he, he, and and he's looking at things objectively. He's not like uh, anti-Putin just for the sake of it. Uh, he's just objectively observing that what the Russians are doing. It seems like neither of them want this war to finish. The Russians want it to continue. NATO wants it to continue. Roloslavsky, uh, who's uh, you know, Russian pro Russia. I've had him on TNT. He's got a great Substack. He said the same things. Like, what are the Russians doing? And um, I, I just had this thought 
and, and I've heard someone comment on it as well that I feel like there are two sets of globalist elites in the West where, you know, going back to the petrodollar and the US dollar reserve, and we just see everyone now moving away from the dollar and the dollar declining, and, you know, maybe it's going to crash. And I think that's also to make way for this digital dollar or CBDC. And, you know, I, I, everything you just mentioned, Ukraine is helping spur that along. And it's almost like there are two sets of globalist elites in the West where one, one set of elites who are in the lower tier, they're like thinking, um, no, we need to support the petrodollar. We have to keep it going. And then the other set of these true globalists, they have no um, nationality, right? They want that global government. So they're like, we we got it. We're going to drop the dollar to make way for the CBDC and this global control um, system. And, you know, someone on my Telegram recently, subscriber, I, I post news from everywhere. And I posted an article from Reuters discussing how Russia um, is using facial recognition to catch people in 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 you know in, in Russia, whoever dissidents or whoever they don't like, and someone said, "Why are you posting this?" I'm like, I, what, like I can't understand these people who think they're, they're Putin Kremlin bots or what. Like, th th we're dealing with all mafias. You think in Russia they don't do that? Yeah, I, I lived in the former Soviet Union in, in Kazakhstan, where they were shutting on the weekends our internet, uh, blocking my VPNs, my email was blocked, and, and my email is blocked in Russia. And um, they, what else were they doing in Kazakhstan? They were trying to get, imagine this, they were trying to get the whole populace of Kazakhstan to download a Mozilla Fire or a browser certificate uh, that's basically spyware that then would allow all the government to see your banking login, everything. And, and I'm like, do you think like China or Russia or everyone's doing this? So I can't understand these people who just... Uh, flip out when I share like a no Russia's doing this you, you've mentioned it before they've they've done the vaccine certificates everyone's on joined this uh party uh and then yeah I, I don't know if you got any other thoughts uh something else that's concerning me is this you know we've seen the U.S. the restrict act and I think basically all governments are pushing forward some form of this restri restrict act in most countries like in in the UK in Europe and Canada they're calling it the online hate speech in the US yeah. is re restrict act so basically what they're doing is they're now criminalizing speech and it's they're bringing in the thought crime idea from 1984 where now if you just think something wrong you can be fined a million bucks go to jail they can take everything um you like and so i i think that 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 adds on to the whole aspect of the cbdc's and, and everything else you know you, your thoughts on the criminalization of speech yeah no absolutely i mean they, they i mean they, they you know there are all these groups like hope not hate and and people like that that are trying in the, in the uk and, and wider as well they're that are trying to suggest that certain i mean we the, the point about hate speech quote unquote hate speech is that you know of course you know, there are laws, and rightfully so, to stop people inciting criminal acts. I mean, you, you can just go on go on, on Twitter and forget about hate speech. Forget about all that. If at any time since, say, Twitter or Facebook, since social media was first ever, ever came in, I don't know when that was, when that late 90s, I don't know when it was, or early, I don't know. I can't remember when um, DARPA put Facebook out. When was that? <laughs> uh, 2004, I think. Yeah, yeah. It was like 2004, yeah. So, but I mean, um, you know, if you went on there then and said, you know, I'm calling for somebody to be killed, you know, you would be, you would hope, you would be investigated. You know, the, the, 
people would be wanting to know what your IP address is and come around and find you. you. That's a crime. You can't start going around saying that you want people to be beheaded and stuff like that, unless, of course, you're a you know a terrorist that's sponsored by the CIA, in which case you can do that. But I mean, that's but that's you know you you can't. We've always had laws to stop us doing this kind of thing. We've never needed to be told what constitutes hate. You know, we can make up our own minds about what constitutes hate. It's obvious. We know, we know, we know when someone is being hateful and disrespectful and unpleasant, and we don't really like those kind of people, both online and off. We don't need anyone to tell us. We we under, we already understand that. But the point is that this whole narrative is being constructed to make you think that you don't understand that. And the sad thing is that for generations that, that are coming, you know, that are, that are growing up with this stuff, they may actually find themselves in a position where they don't understand that because it's, it, they can't, they can't know what is true. They can't know what is real unless it is defined for them by some third party fact checking app. We we must not allow that to happen. That is the real that is the really, really dangerous aspect of this stuff. And the point is, as you quite rightly say, is to bring all these things together. So the IMF have already sp spoken about using some kind of social credit mechanism for people online, which is linked to their financial activity. So they they were they were talking about potentially you know like stopping people doing certain transactions and things like that if they were online and they were saying the wrong thing. Now, if in a CBDC world, if you go online and post something about I don't know, let's say you post something saying "Free Julian Assange" or something like that, well, if that's frowned upon by the state, well then then you, they'll just disable your CBDC so you can't pay your prescription your your subscription for your internet service provider so you can't go online because you can't get a service because they'll disable your money so you can't pay for it i mean th that that is the level of control that will be entirely possible with a central bank digital currency and um, and people just don't get it they're they're not getting it the the whole the whole thing comes together with central bank digital service, which is tied to digital ID. So you you will have to log on to use your computer, almost certainly. That because of why would the justification for that be? As we've seen with the Online Harms Act in the UK, the justification is the protection of children, keeping people safe. It's always keeping people safe. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a safe slave. I'm not interested in that. I'd rather be at risk and a bit free because we can't be totally free. None of us are totally free because we have responsibilities to each other. So the idea that we can just be free and do whatever we like is nonsense. But we've always known that because we we are social animals that live in social groups. We know we can't go around behaving with abandon and just doing whatever we want because other people won't like it. And that's a problem for us. We know this stuff. It's inherent to us. It's our nature. We don't need to be told how to go about conducting ourselves. We just need to realise who we are. We are human beings. We're not robots. We're not AI bots. We're human beings with real feelings, real emotions, real intellect. We have real opinions and we need to be free to express them. And what they want to do, the whole reason that this, this cartel is being imposed on us, this draconian panopticon 
is is to stop us doing that because our freedom is the threat that they fear they fear us just taking steps to move away from the trajectory that they want to send us down so so that's why all this stuff is coming together and it's i think we're getting to the point now i mean i, I know that i am in my writing certainly where i'm i think it's time to be a little bit freer about what we say not less free because 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 they want you to feel squeezed they want you to feel they want you to be frightened to say the wrong thing well excuse my french but screw that i'm not going to feel frightened by by being by being told that i'm not allowed to hold this opinion and we, none of us should we should all be forthright in our views providing that we're that we are polite and that we are you know we're we're willing to be reasonable and to and to and to uh, hold a reasonable discourse, there's no reason why we should feel restricted from saying whatever we want. And if and if you're going to get locked up for it and have your money, you know, your money shut down because you have said what you want, so be it. But if we all say what we want, then that's going to, you know, that's going to cause. It's, even with CBDC, there will come a point where that will be unmanageable. Because if everybody acts as a sovereign individual, as a free human spirit, they can't control us. And that's what the whole system is designed to do. Yeah, I, I've seen some people over the past, especially three years, some of my uh, guests who were very cautious with the language that they used. And I, I've generally been saying whatever's on my mind. And uh, then I've seen them now open up more. And it's just like... You know, back in 2020, I was comparing COVIDism to Nazism. And some people were like, no, I, I, they, they believe that, but they don't want to say it. And then they finally start saying it when once they see everyone else is saying <laughs> the obvious. So, yeah, we, we need to speak uh, freely. We've covered uh, a lot, uh, Ian. And so, you know, any final thought for us? I uh, know, really. I mean, I mean, I just enjoyed the opportunity to have a chat. There's nothing as good as a good rant, is there? To feel better, it's uh, it's uh, very cathartic. So that that's that's good. Yeah, um, you know, the, my, my my podcast as well. It's a bit uh, therapy for me. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, you know, I mean, I just hope that people will will just think really hard about what what is being what is happening at the moment, you know, and and just and just realize what the solution that the solutions are in our hands they are in our hands otherwise they wouldn't be trying so hard to control us because we we are the, we are their problem so we need to realize that we are their pro we are the cancer we are the carbon they want to <laughs> we're the carbon they want to get rid of yeah yeah, yeah so all right well uh, everyone, as you know, as Ian says, Ian's chipper. I'm chipper. We always have to be. I always say I'm going to laugh on the way to the gulag if that happens, whether it's the physical or um, a digital yeah. uh, gulag. So they can't take that from us. Um, where are the best places? I'll include all your links uh, as always. But, you know, any, any particular project you got going on or how can people support you, follow you? Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, just 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 quickly, just quickly. Avoid that. You're right. We should laugh at this stuff because some of it is hilarious and we should laugh at it. We should, and one of the going back to a point you made earlier, we don't need to take these people seriously. There's no reason why we have to take these people seriously. And you said this idea about the two factions fighting, you think there's one set of globalists that, yeah, 
Yeah, because they're just like us. They're just people. They're just ordinary people that happen to have an immense amount of money and power. But they squabble and backbite and, and you know, their relationships break down. The kids, the kids annoy them. You know, it's exact. They're people. They're not these all powerful demigods. They're just they're just people like the rest of us. We have no reason to give them any more credit than we would give our next door neighbor. So so you know don't 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 worry about all that sort of stuff. They're they're always bickering and fighting each other. They haven't got a cohesive plan. They've just got an idea where they want to, where they want us to go. In my, my view, yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm at uh, iandavis.com, which is spelt with two eyes. It's i a i n davis.com. Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm fortunate to write for your good self at Geopolitics and Empire, and uh, I write often find my work at uh, Off Guardian. Uh, also at UK Column and Unlimited Hangout as well. I've got a, a, a big piece coming out uh, with Unlimited Hangout shortly. So, uh, yeah, so check out my work there and uh, and go to my website. You can download my book for free there. So um, when my recent, my last book was called Pseudo Pandemic. So, you know, please feel free to just check out my work at my website. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.